So, Lord, we know that where you are, there is freedom. So, ask that you would use your word to help set us free. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Just before I preach, I do want to just encourage you to go to the prayer and worship night this Thursday, 7 o'clock. It is a great way. I always leave those prayer and worship nights feeling empowered, refreshed, stronger. It's just a great experience of being able to worship God for that long and pray. So I'd really encourage you Thursday night at 7 to be there. Well, every January, my wife and I do this really stupid thing called sugar-free January, where after the holidays, you know, we're all, you know, eating too many sweets, so we go without dessert for the whole month of January. It's awesome. But this year, you know, we were talking about it, and I said to my wife, you know, January's already kind of a depressing month, and this just makes it worse. And then my wife said, yeah, and it doesn't really even work, because once February comes, we just pig out again. And, you know, I've noticed that, too, that sugar-free January is always followed by full-on fat fry, uh, February. So, you know, it doesn't really work. So this year, we decided just to ditch sugar-free January altogether. And we decided that on January 2nd, so didn't get very far. But I do want it to be known for the record that mostly it was my wife's idea to ditch sugar-free January. The woman that God did give me, she showed me the cookies and I ate. (laughs) That is an example of a stupid vow that we could not keep. And that's the issue in the very strange story we just read today where a man named Jephthah says that if God helps him win a battle, he will sacrifice the first thing he sees when he returns, which turns out to be his daughter. And I was just kind of looking, glancing out of the side of my eyes as Terry was reading that scripture, and some of you, the look on your face was great. It's like, what is this? What is he going to do with this? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're starting a new sermon series today called That's in the Bible, where... You get the point, right? Where we are going to be looking at the strange, the weird, the difficult texts in Scripture. Because all of Scripture is God-inspired and all of it has something to teach us. So we're going to dig a little deeper in this series into the Bible and look at texts that you probably have never heard before in your life. I mean, how many of you are just sick of hearing sermons on Jephthah? If you hear one more Jephthah sermon, you'll go crazy, right? None of you, you've never heard a sermon on Jephthah, which is awesome for me. This means that this will be the best Jephthah sermon you have ever heard in your life. Now, this story is a great example of how sometimes the Bible shows us what not to do rather than what to do. Kind of the point of this story is, you know, don't try this at home, kids. Nowhere in the story does it say that Jephthah did the right thing. In fact, it says that every year people mourn Jephthah's daughter, implying that he did the wrong thing. So that's kind of the point of the story. But a deeper question, or a more important question that you probably have is, so what does this story have to do with my life today? Because that's not exactly the issue I'm facing this week. What does this have to do with me? Well, I think here's how it applies. I think there are all kinds of foolish unspoken, destructive vows that we make that bring spiritual and emotional death to our souls. Now, I'm not talking about the good vows we make. There are good vows we make that we should keep, like marriage vows, definitely should keep marriage vows. But then there are all kinds of toxic vows that we make. We sometimes aren't even aware that we have them because they're usually unspoken and they're underneath, but they drive a lot of our life. And they often begin with the thought, I'll never or I'll always. So, for instance, in high school, I was kind of an unpopular kid, didn't have a lot of friends. So, out of that, I, I made a, an unspoken vow that I will always do whatever it takes to make you like me. 
And as a result, I ended up in some really destructive situations just trying to go along with the crowd, trying to make people like me. Sometimes when people have been hurt very deeply, a toxic vow they'll take. They may, not in words, but just in their hearts, I'll never let anyone close again because I've been hurt. Sometimes we have the unspoken vow, I will never forgive so-and-so for what they've done. But then that anger eats us up alive and just kind of corrodes our soul. Sometimes the toxic vows we take start good, but then we overdo it. So for instance, sometimes folks think, you know, my parents never showed me that they love me. We're never there, my games or whatever. I'll never do that. But then we overcorrect, become helicopter parents, kind of overparent, leaving our kids feeling smothered and our spouse feeling abandoned. A big toxic vow a lot of us take is, I'll show them. I'll prove I'm worth something. You know, somewhere along the line, we got the idea. Someone told us we weren't good enough or we're damaged good. Good. So the toxic vow we take is, I'll do anything to be a success to prove to them I'm worthwhile. Even if it means overworking to the point of getting an ulcer, even if it means neglecting my family, even if it means a crippling perfectionism. When I taught at Stanford, one of the first papers I ever grade, I graded, I gave a B plus to, which I thought was a very noble good grade, right? But what I hadn't counted on is Stanford is full of hyper-achieving types, most of whom have never seen a B in their entire life. So the next day, the student came into my office and she was crying. And she said, B plus, I've never gotten such a terrible grade in my life. I wanted to be chief of surgery by the time I'm 30 and now my dream has died. I'm like, whoa, you know, like a little overblown there. So, you know, I said, calm down, it's going to be okay, you know, B plus, it's a consonant. I know you've never seen one before, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> she had this vow, I must prove myself and be a success at all costs because that'll make me happy because it was doing such wonders for her in that moment. The problem with this particular vow is that it works, and it often motivates us to achieve and succeed, but it can become an unhealthy obsession, and there are healthier ways to motivate ourselves to do our best. For some people, the unspoken vow they have is, I must always feel comfortable, so they never embark on adventures that God might have for them. Or, I never want anything to change, and so can't embrace new opportunities, or, or let go of the kids when they're grown up, and kind of keep parenting them. So let me ask this, what might be a toxic, unspoken vow that is bringing bondage to your soul? That's Jephthah's issue. In fact, before he even gets to his stupid vow about sacrificing the first thing he sees, there seems to be another hidden, unspoken vow underneath that's driving his life. See, the background of this story is Jephthah was the son of a prostitute, but his father had two legitimate sons by his father's wife. So when they grew up, they didn't want to share their inheritance with their half-brother Jephthah, so they said, you're the son of a prostitute, get out. They rejected him from the family and drove him away. But then later, when some enemies of Israel named the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Israel went to Jephthah and they made a vow. If you beat the Ammonites, we will make you chief of our little clan here of Gilead. And Jephthah, feeling the sting of rejection from his own family, was so eager to please, so eager to be accepted, so eager to prove himself that he agreed. His unspoken vow was, I will be successful no matter what. I'll show him. Because the lie he was believing that is that he wasn't worth anything. And that's often true for a lot of us. Behind the toxic vows we take is a lie that we're believing that's driving that vow. And so just to make sure that he impresses everyone with his military skill, Jephthah then makes this bargain with God. God, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out the door of my house, when I return, I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering 
is that a stupid vow or what? Like in the history of vows, this is, I mean, this, this guy is definitely one can shy of a six pack, right? Dumb vow. And, and, and this text, this story has led to all kinds of speculation from Bible commentators. Well, what is it exactly that he thought he would see? I read one commentator said, maybe it was his wife. <laughs> no. Right, that says way more about the commentator than the story, right? Probably he expected to see an animal because back then it was common to have animals in the house with you. So he probably thought it would be a sheep or a goat or something like that or you know, maybe the cat. The cat would make sense, right? <laughs> Whatever it was, it's still a stupid vow. But not only was it stupid, it was unnecessary. God had already promised to defend Israel from her enemies. It begins by saying the Spirit of the Lord was on Jephthah. And what that usually means is you're going you're gonna to win the battle. But Jephthah ignores God's presence in his life. And when he does that, does what a lot of us do when we ignore God's presence, he makes a stupid vow that was absolutely unnecessary just to try to manipulate God. You ever do that? You ever try to manipulate God? You know, God, if you only do this thing for me, then I'll clean up my language, I'll go to church, I'll tithe, and I'll be nice to my hamster, I promise, God, I promise. Right? Or, or, or maybe it's not that blatant, but I think a lot of times, sometimes we carry this God owes me attitude. God, if you really love me, then you would prove that by giving me this job, this spouse, or whatever it is I think I need. And that's sort of an attempt to manipulate God. I have a friend who has a seven-year-old son who one night at dinner was being real squirrely, squirrely, and his dad kept saying, you know, calm down, cut it out, calm down, but he just, the kid didn't obey. Finally, ended up spilling something of sort of Exxon Valdez proportions. And so the dad said, well, okay, you know, you disobeyed, so now there's going to be some consequences. So this seven-year-old boy reaches in his pocket, pulled out a dollar bill, no lie, and he said, maybe Mr. Washington can change your mind. <laughs> Where did that come from? Seven-year-old kid, like it's just like born into us. We try to manipulate others, manipulate situations, manipulate God to get God to bless our agenda rather than find out what God's agenda is and get on board with that. Some of you are still laughing about that. That's awesome. <clears throat> I could just pause. <laughs> We try to get God to bless what we want to do rather than say, God, what do you want to do here? Because that's always better. Plus, God refuses to be manipulated, right? It's just not going to happen. Sort of like the story of the student who turned in his test, and as he did, he prayed, oh, God, please let Paris be the capital of England. <laughs> not going to happen, right? Now, it's true that in this story, God does help Jephthah win the battle, but not because of his vow, because of God's concern for Israel. So then Jephthah returns victorious from the battle, and the first thing he sees is his daughter coming out of the house. And it's kind of a sad, you know, she's dancing, she's all happy, and then Jephthah's like, you know, uh, 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 buzzkill, right? Just like, oh, and then he says this, oh, my daughter, tears his clothes, oh, my daughter, you have brought me down, and I am devastated. You have brought, okay, how did this become her fault? Right, like, it's not her fault her dad's a dipstick. And then notice what he's focused on. You know, he's focused on how this affects, not how it affects his daughter. Is he worried about that? No, no, no. What does he say? You have brought me down. I'm devastated. Me, me, me. What about me? How many narcissists does it take to screw in a light bulb? One, he holds it and the world revolves around him. And so he gives his daughter a couple of months to mourn, and then he does what he promised to do. Now, I have actually heard people say that Jephthah was right to sacrifice his daughter because it is a sin to go back on a vow that you have made to God. Oh, please. Right? Like, you know, don't go back on a vow you've made, but, you know, murdering your daughter, no sweat. That's, yeah. 
So here's a general principle that can change your life. Okay, it's very profound. It's very deep. If you make a stupid vow, don't make it stupider by doing it. You see, God is crystal clear. In, Jephthah should have known this. God is crystal clear in Scripture. He hates human sacrifice. In Deuteronomy, God says, Do not be like the other nations, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as a sacrifice to their gods. He hates human sacrifice. Not only that, but had Jephthah known God's word better and understood God's heart better, he would have known that he did not need to sacrifice his daughter. Leviticus 27 makes it really clear that the normal way in that culture to dedicate a person to God was not to sacrifice them, but instead to play, pay a little bit of money kind of as a, as, as a, as a, as a replacement or a, a, a kind of a, a token on behalf of that person. And in Jephthah's case, he could have fulfilled that vow for nothing, less than, nothing more than 30 pieces of silver. That's it. 30 pieces of silver would have fulfilled that vow, and that was the normal way to dedicate someone in that culture. Put money down instead. Had he just known God's word better, he would have known that. But it's deeper than that. It's not just God's word he doesn't understand. It's God's heart. You see, Jephthah here is treating God as if he were just one of the other pagan gods of Israel's neighbors. You know, gods with cool names like Chemosh and Molech and you know, other things that you want to name your kid. Let's name him Molech, right? Great names. Jephthah's just treating God as if he's just one of those pagan gods, all of whom demanded human sacrifice. Jephthah does not understand the God of Israel is different. He does not demand sacrifice from people. Instead, he provides himself as the sacrifice that frees us from our sin, frees us from the prison we put ourselves in with all of our unspoken toxic vows. Jephthah could have made good on his vow for only 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Where else does the phrase 30 pieces of silver show up in the Bible? Jesus, right? Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The point is this. We do not have to make vows or try to manipulate God to get him to love us or accept us or prove ourselves worthy or anything else. Those toxic vows bring spiritual and emotional death, but Jesus frees us from the bondage that those vows create. And that's the point of another very difficult story that Jephthah surely would have known in Genesis 22, where God tests Abraham to see if he's willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. But the point of that story is that God stops Abraham from doing it and provides instead a ram caught in a thicket of thorns as a substitute for Isaac, which is a clear foreshadowing of Jesus, right? God provides a ram as a substitute for Isaac. Jesus is called the Lamb of God that pays the price for our sins. The ram is caught in the thicket of thorns. Jesus wears a crown of thorns, on and on and on. This is not PhD, English major, hard. It's clearly foreshadowing Jesus. And what God is saying to Abraham and what Jephthah should have known is God's heart that says to us, you do not have to sacrifice or perform to earn my love. I love you unconditionally, and I will sacrifice myself to prove it. Jesus has taken our place, paid every price for every sin, for every toxic vow we've made. He comes to set us free. And that is Jesus' vow to us. Jesus doesn't say, I need a vow from you. Jesus says, I will make a vow to you. I will set you free. And unlike our own vows, unlike Jephthah's conditional, if you do this, then I'll do that, God, vow, Jesus' vow is unconditional. And he fulfills it no matter what. So what toxic, unspoken vows are you living by? I'll always, I'll never, I'll show them. 
And are you sacrificing your sanity or your health or your family or your marriage or your relationship with God on the altar of that vow? Jesus sets us free. And there are three things we do to let Jesus do that. Three practical steps we can take to let Jesus set us free. The first is this, pray. Simply ask Jesus, show me what the toxic vows I might have are because a lot of times we don't even know we have them. So, you know, say, Jesus, reveal to me what toxic vows might be driving my life. Maybe get a friend to give you some input or a spouse. If you have one, spouses are great for telling you what to do. Maybe use that skill. Second, break agreement with those vows. And here's what I mean by that. I said earlier, one of Jephthah's mistakes is treating God like one of the pagan gods of Israel's neighbors. But we don't have idols with names like, you know, Molech or Chemos or whatever. But, we, but all of those false idols that they worshipped are things that we, stood for things that we still worship today. So fertility gods celebrated sex. Rain gods were all about getting a good crop so you could be wealthy. War gods were all about getting power over people. Sex, money, power. We still worship those gods. We still make agreements with those gods all the time. We make agreement that in money is our security rather than in God. Or we make agreement with our culture's view of sex that says it's the highest pleasure in life and you don't need to be married to have it. And the result is a lot of times we settle for really lousy sex that unites bodies but does not unite souls, does not unite hearts because you can't give your whole self to someone who hasn't promised to stay with you forever. So what agreements have you made with the false gods of our culture. Break those agreements. Say out loud, I break agreement that in money is my security. I break agreement that in order to be accepted, I have to earn that and I have to prove myself and succeed and achieve. Or whatever it is, break agreement with that vow. And then third, cooperate with Jesus in getting free. A lot of times Jesus will use the circumstances of our lives, sometimes that we're resisting, use the circumstances of our lives as an opportunity to get in there and set us free. And we need to cooperate with him, you know, rather than trying to resist him. There's a pastor named Tim Keller, and he tells a story about moving to New York City to, to start a church. And he made a vow to his wife, a bargain. Let me have three years of working really long hours, and at the end of three years, I will, I'll cut back. Terrible vow, lousy bargain, right? But she, she said, okay. But then three years came, he never cut back. He was sacrificing his marriage, his relationship with his kids, all on the altar of, I've got to succeed no matter what. Well, his wife kept trying to talk to him, but you know, he wouldn't listen, didn't hear her, right? Until one day he came home, and as he walked through the door, he heard a smashing sound in the kitchen. And then he heard a second smashing sound. So he went into the kitchen, and his wife was just sitting on the floor with a hammer in her hand, smashing the wedding china. And he, and he said, well, what are you doing? You're smashing our wedding china. And she said, you know, you are not listening to me. I don't know how to get your attention. You don't realize that if you keep working these hours, you're going to wreck this family. And I don't know how to get it through to you that this is what you're doing to our family. And then she smashed another plate. Well, by this time, he's kind of shaking, and he's thinking, holy cow, she's lost it, right? She's, she's freaking out. So he sat down, and he said, okay, I'm listening. Just, just stop breaking things. And that, he says, led to this great all-night conversation about his hours, their marriage, their family, what mattered. And he said in that conversation, he could hear Jesus talking to him. He said, my wife's points were the same as they'd always been, but somehow the Holy Spirit in that moment revealed to me how deluded I was, that there's never going to be a convenient time to cut back on work hours. And I was just addicted to my, to my image, addicted to pleasing people, addicted to success at any cost. 
And he goes on to say from there that he cut back on his hours and he got more balance in his life. And guess what? The church did just fine. In fact, the church thrived without his anxious presence there all the time, which I've actually noticed that myself. Sometimes when I'm gone, this church does better, which is very disconcerting. I don't know what that means. He had an unspoken vow, succeed at all costs. Probably could even justify it to himself by using the, pulling the pastor card, right? Well, I'm a pastor, and after all, I'm doing it all for the Lord. You know, I've heard pastors do, other pastors do that. <laughs> but what he was doing was just like Jephthah. He was sacrificing his family on the altar of that vow. But Jesus used the circumstances in his life, spoke through his wife to help him see what he was doing, break agreement with that, and set him free. And discover that career success, career success is good, but it's not as great as having a great marriage and a great family. And I know from other things he said that the more he experiences Jesus in his life, the less he needs to prove himself, the more free he gets. So what unspoken vows are you living by that maybe are bringing you emotional or spiritual death? Will you ask Jesus to show to you what they are? And then will you break agreement with those vows that, aren't, that are toxic and then cooperate with Jesus in the circumstances of your, your life so that he can set you free because Jesus is all about freedom. Jesus is God's vow to us that says, you, I do not require a sacrifice from you to, to love you. I am requiring no sacrifice. Instead, I myself will be the sacrifice to show you how much I love you. As the Apostle Paul puts it, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Jesus who says to you and says to me, I am the promise of God. You do not need to bargain with me. You do not need to sacrifice. You do not need to do something to get me to love you. I love you unconditionally no matter what. You can cease your anxious, anxious toil. I am the promise of God. I am the liberator. Turn to me and I will set you free. So Jesus, we ask that you would reveal to us the toxic vows that are driving our lives. We ask that you would help us break agreement with those. And then, Lord, use the circumstances of our lives to set us free. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.